May I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, St. Michael's. Sorry, I'm very loud. I feel loud for this microphone. (laughs) Good morning. For those of you who do not already know me, my name is Crystal Hardin, and I bring you very warm greetings from your neighbor down the street, St. George's, where I currently serve as the Associate Rector. I am delighted and honored to be here with you this morning, and I thank you for welcoming me. And Beth, I thank you for inviting me into your pulpit once again. This morning, I'd like us to explore the concept of time. At its simplest, time is, of course, what the clock reads. When portioned into hours and days, months and years, time has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We can rely upon it, predict it, and even trick ourselves into believing that we can control it. But at its most complex, to speak of time is to risk opening yourself up to somewhat destabilizing discussions of space-time, multiverses, and the fundamental nature of time, which are, to my mind, at least completely confusing. Some much smarter than me have even proposed that time actually doesn't even exist. And yet, we experience time. We have too little of it, too much of it. We are on borrowed time. We have plenty of time. There was that one time. You say that all the time. Where has the time gone? I am running out of time. It is time. The book of Revelation knows something of time. It's situated here on this, the fifth Sunday of Easter. It calls to mind end times. Writ small, it speaks of our end, of yours and of mine. Often read at funerals, the passage appointed for this morning breathes the promise of rest and relief over the body of the dead and speaks to those who mourn. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. At all times, this passage recounts one of the great mysteries of our faith, that God has chosen to be a God with us, a God who relentlessly seeks to make his home among us and in us and calls us to make our home in him. So yes, this passage speaks of our end, of yours and of mine. But it doesn't stop there. Writ large, it speaks of our end, collectively, the end. In church speak, we call this the eschaton. I grew up referring to it as the rapture, being from Alabama, as I was. For the religious, though, this is the final event in the divine plan, whatever you think that that might be. For the believing and the unbelieving alike, the end of the world as we know it. Barbara Brown Taylor notes that if you want a beatific vision of God's end game for creation, there is no better place to look than these last two chapters of Revelation. There is rejoicing as the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And all the saints of God make their way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The end. Whether it's your end or my end or the end of the world, this end is one that we have not yet encountered in fullness. Like so much of what is unknown, it may provoke fear, even as it promises what is good. This end-time image of Revelation, of course, is placed alongside our gospel for this morning. And in the gospel, we are thrust backwards. The Lord is risen indeed, alleluia. Our alleluias are still met well, and yet here we are asked to recall a moment prior to Jesus' crucifixion. In it, he makes his farewell to his disciples. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, I say now to you where I am going, you cannot follow. These words are sacred, not just because they are words spoken by Jesus, but because they are final words, words spoken by someone who isn't long for this world, and as such, they have a sort of sacred economy. There there is not enough time for any more words above those words that must be spoken. Time is running out. The end is near. The crucifixion awaits. We here in the future know that to be passed, it will be done. It does happen. And yet, it is not the end after all, because Christ's resurrection is the undoing of death, the undoing of that which was the end. The resurrection, the event in which the end meets the end. The resurrection, the promise that always we begin again. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. As if in response to this, our appointed psalm rings out, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All created things praise him. Sun and moon and shining stars praise him. Sea monsters and things lurking in the deep praise him. Wild animals and all cattle creeping, things and flying birds praise him. You and me praise him. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, praise the Lord. Here is an invitation to a chorus of praise ringing eternal, a joyful beckoning to join with all of creation in praising God, creator, and redeemer. At the next service, we will welcome Byron Warner into the household of God through the waters of baptism. And what is wild about this is that in so doing, we remember that Warner's creation and redemption were preordained, not to be confused, of course, with the doctrine of predestination, preordained. Our creation and our redemption were preordained, held in the hands of our Lord outside of time. What I mean by that is this. God, our creator, did not lovingly form us and then set us loose in the world, see us, if I'm being frank, fall on our backsides repeatedly, and say to himself, now I've got to come up with a solution to this problem. No, our redemption was not and is not an afterthought. 
Our redemption in the form of Jesus the Christ was sewn into the fabric of creation before time as we knew it began. In the words of Robert Capon, before the foundation of the world, God is both creator and redeemer. The incarnation of the word stands under and upholds everything, which means we can pay attention. We can pay attention to the restoration that is already a reality for us. This invitation to pay attention and to point to that reality is an open invitation for each of us. It is the Christian walk. It is the Christian life. This is a necessary call and yet one that is easier at some points than at others. It feels particularly difficult in these days of war and of political unrest and of hate crimes like that that happened yesterday. There is darkness in our days and yet there is light too, joy and rebirth and renewal, the promise of eternal spring Warner's baptism is one point of light, and I'm sure that you can name your own if you dig deep enough. In the words of Amanda Gorman, for there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. My end, your end, the end, it is God. This is the reality for this time and for all times. The new heaven and the new earth is simply where God is, where God is with us. See, the home of God is among mortals. God who is both beginning, end, and everything in between, this God is in it with us, with you and with me in joy and in tragedy, and in all places in between, God is a God with us. Praise him. Praise the one who is both Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who in Jesus Christ our Lord made his purpose known that all things would be united to God, the one who both created us and redeemed us, the one who as revelation reveals makes all things new, the one who acted in time to affect all time, to the end of time. Praise him. Let us listen now to sacred words, final words, words spoken by Jesus at a time when he was not long for this world. Let us hear them now in light of the resurrection truth. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. Fellow children of God, particularly after the news of yesterday and the hurt in the world, if you remember nothing else, remember this. God loses nothing in giving. Death is only a horizon, and a horizon is just the limit of our sight, nothing more. The limit of our understanding of time. Life is eternal. Love is immortal. So let us seek to live a love untouched by time, a love that blesses, a love that rejoices, a love that notices God at work in all things. Amen.